I guess it wouldn't take me to tell you that life today is full of demands on our time. And it's quite a surprise that some of us even get any time to sleep, isn't it? And even once we take, take out of our life those things that place demands on our time, but that we can probably live without, Facebook for some of you perhaps, I'm not looking in any direction, I wouldn't dream of it, there are still loads of things that are left, even if we got rid of some of the things that are probably non-essentials. Uh, let, me, let me read to you uh, this, this bit from a book. See if you can relate to this. Maybe some of you relate to this story. Bill is an insurance broker in a large city firm. His already stressful job is made even harder by rumours that a merger is maybe in the pipeline, meaning a whole load of redundancies. And many of his colleagues are younger than he is, most of them work late, often taking work home. So spurred on by a vague, half-remembered understanding of the Protestant work ethic and a genuine desire to work hard for the glory of God, not to mention the need to support his wife and family, Bill ends up doing the same. In an effort to stay one step ahead of the game and his colleagues, he starts coming in earlier and leaving later. This inevitably puts more strain on his family. He's been married to Sarah for ten years and they have two lively boys, aged six and four. She recently discovered she was pregnant with their third child, scuppering plans to return to work as soon as their youngest started school. She helps to run a local mums and toddlers group and uh, although both of them, and she's involved in things during the day as well, it may not be paid but it's certainly work. By the time Bill gets home in the evening, both, both of them are exhausted. Now, in today's moral climate, Bill appreciates the need to make quality time in his roles as a husband and father, but the longer office hours means that some days he doesn't get to see his children at all. Sarah often ends up feeling like a lone parent. She and Bill argue far more than they used to and never, have, never seem to have time to relax. Bill wonders how they're going to cope with a new arrival, but voicing his concerns to his wife only makes things worse. A large chunk of Bill's time is taken up with their local church. He not only leads a home group, but also helps out as a member of the finance team, and sometimes even preaches. He finds it increasingly difficult to meet all the requirements made of him, and spend most of his waking hours feeling guilty about what he's not doing. Week after week, the sermon highlights yet another area of life in which he appears, at least to himself, to be failing miserably. Week one, prayer. After the vicar warns the congregation about the dangers of neglecting prayer and reminds them of the importance of the prayer meeting, Bill makes a special effort to get there. This involves going straight, from, uh, straight to the church hall from work, grabbing a quick burger on the way. Another night when he won't get to see his children. The following week, the sermon is on the importance of family life. Only too aware that he doesn't spend enough time with his wife and children, Bill decides to leave work earlier and take less work home. He knows that his sons are at the age when spending time with them is especially important. He begins to make it a priority over work, but his boss and his colleagues begin to notice. Week three, Bill picks up a new book that stresses the importance of being a shining light in the workplace. Bill starts to wonder if he's not neglecting both his God-given responsibility to work and the role of being a witness in the office. He overhears two of his colleagues talking about his part-time work these days and redoubles his efforts. 
health. Bill starts to feel more and more tired and stressed. He, he knows that his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but he knows he's not eating well and relying more and more on fast food and he's not really seen very often down at his local gym anymore. He decides to get up half an hour earlier and go for a run in the mornings before work. Then, at the quarterly home group leaders meeting, everyone is reminded of how vital, vital it is to spend time with God each morning in a quiet time. Praying, listening and reading the Bible. How can we set an example to those in our groups, says one person, if we're not spending quality time with God ourselves? Bill resolves to make it a priority. And so he spends an extra 20 minutes in the morning in prayer and reading the Bible. The next Sunday, the vicar draws him to one side and asks him if he'd like to support the Saturday street evangelism team. Support has been sadly lacking recently, he says, and I'm sure someone in your position would motivate others to get involved. Bill doesn't see how he can refuse. The following week is a guest service where all church members are encouraged to bring along a friend who doesn't normally go to church. Bill becomes painfully aware he hasn't invited anyone. I mean, how could he? He hardly ever sees his friends or neighbours anymore. He hasn't really got the time. Like so many of us, Bill juggles his time as best he can between the various pressing demands and priorities made upon him. But he often seems frustrated by the fact he doesn't seem to be doing particularly well in any of them. Time may be a gift from God, but Bill wonders whether he's been shortchanged along the way. I wonder if any of you can relate to that, either now or at some point in your life. C.J. Mahaney I remember at uh, a conference a few years ago using an illustration about spinning plates and how it, it was like you know, sp- having to spin lots of plates in your life and invariably one would come crashing down over there or one would wobble over there. And he, you know, he spent the whole time rushing around trying to juggle different things. I wonder if you ever feel like that. Whether you feel like the plates you're spinning or trying to keep up in the air are just about to crash. Or maybe they have crashed. And you're wondering what you can do. Last week, we talked about giving. And uh, included in that was the reminder that we're called to be generous with our money. Because God is a generous God. But it's not just our money that he calls us to be generous with. It's our possessions and our friends and our time. So this morning is the third and final part in our series, Making the Most of the Rest of Your Life. And I want to look at this morning about managing your time and managing your energy. Managing your time and energy. Now, if there was anyone who could argue that he was busy, I think it's probably Jesus. I mean, think about it for a moment. Here we have the Son of God who comes to earth for a limited period of time and he knows he's got quite a bit on his plate. I mean, if we looked at Jesus' to-do list, I reckon it might look something like this. Lay down all the glory and splendour of heaven, come to earth as a baby. Be born, grow up, do some teaching in the temple age 12. At 30, start the public ministry. Get baptised, start preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Recruit disciples. Note to self, Jesus may say. Uh, could be difficult. Train disciples, another note to self, this could take some time. Heal the sick, challenge the Pharisees, 
Note to self, this could be fun, could be dangerous along the way. Preach to vast crowds. Send the disciples out to try ministry on their own. Pick up the pieces as a result of sending the disciples out to try ministry on their own. Send the disciples to try again. Commission disciples, die on a cross. Be raised up after three days. Spend some more time with the disciples, return to heaven, regain glory and splendour previously laid aside. Send the Holy Spirit, be head of the church. Come back for the church. New heaven, new earth. Might be a sort of summary of Jesus' to-do list. And yet he didn't have an administrator to sort it all out. He didn't have the luxury, or maybe the hassle, of modern communications, mobile phones and email to help out. How did Jesus do it? How did he manage? What are some of the keys for us to learn? And John Wesley, the famous reformer, was renowned for saying that sometimes he found himself so busy that he just had to spend an extra hour in prayer in the mornings. And yet even Wesley had areas of his life that actually didn't work out so well. So how are we meant to live? For most of us, we don't have the luxury of being able to say, you know, I don't need to work, or I can only work just a couple of days a week and that that will do me fine. Most of us who are of a working age would be juggling full-time jobs or family responsibilities at home perhaps, maybe both even, alongside wanting to serve God faithfully and honour him. So how do you do it? What's the key? Well, that's the question I want to ask this morning and our remaining time, hopefully, to answer it. So why don't we pray and we'll ask God to help us in these moments. Lord Jesus, we ask you to be with us now as we look at these things together and uh, I pray you'd help us as we get a handle on these things that we might live lives that truly honour you and that uh, you'd help us, Lord, as we look at these things together, give us ears to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us Help us, Lord, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at a few things to help us. Firstly, our priorities. Secondly, having time off. Thirdly, taking care of our bodies. And fourthly, serving. So firstly, priorities. What are your priorities? If you're going to get a handle on our time, a handle on our energy, then you need to know what your priorities are. And uh, I would suggest the following would be a reasonably good order if this applies to you. Number one, God. Number two, your family, husband or wife or children. Number three, work. And number four, church. So let's give a little bit of detail to each of those. So number one in our lives should be God. In Matthew 22, we have someone come to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. God needs to be first in our lives. Without him in that number one spot, other things will clamber for that place. It is God and God alone who deserves our worship. The Bible tells us very clearly not to worship anything else or anyone else. In Exodus 20 we have the Ten Commandments. We find God saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Pretty clear, would you agree? 
pretty straightforward. Now, some of you know, I happen to drive a Ford Mondeo. And I have done for a number of years. But I am told the word Mondeo, maybe you know this Tim, I think mine also, means little God. You know that? Apparently the word Mondeo means little God. And going by the number of people you might find out on a Sunday morning cleaning and polishing and taking care of their car, it seems quite an appropriate name. I had a friend a number of years ago who would be, be fair to say worshipped his car. I mean, it was a really nice car, don't get me wrong. I mean, it was a really sort of sporty three-door. It had the alloys. It had the body kit. It had the metallic black paints. It had the sort of slightly darkened windows that gave it that sort of, look. But for him, it was all-consuming. It was pretty much what he lived for. The car was everything. Now, I like cars, and his was a nice one, but, I mean, a car being everything? Haven't we lost the plot a bit? Well, plenty of people have. But for you, it may not be a car. It might be something else. Maybe your job, your career. Might be clothes, or money itself, perhaps. What is it in your life? Or has God got that number one spot that he should have? Worship the Lord your God only. So friends, this morning, make sure that God has got the number one spot in your life. Secondly, if we're married, then our husband or wife needs to come next, along with any children we may have. So family then is next. Our partners or our our kids. Now what I'm discovering along the way is that there are seasons to life. The way I used to live when I was single, what I did with my time has now changed. And then it's changed again since we had kids. And it's going to change again, I'm reliably informed, as our children get older. Now for me, I'm trying to prioritise some time with our children. For me, it's being home at dinner time, reading a story at bedtime. Now I'm often out of an evening, at meetings and so on and so forth, but for me, I try and keep that early evening slot clear as family time. Steve Chalk in his book on time management says this, he says, the years you have with your children will be over and gone before you know it. The day will come when you'll desperately want to read them a story, but they will be too busy, not to mention too old. Rather than you trying to fit them into a busy diary, they will be the ones trying to make time to come and see you. So how do you do it? How do you make it happen? Well, it comes back to priorities, doesn't it? What are your priorities? What do you do with your time? See, we've all got the same amount of it. It's not that some of us got an extra day. It's not that some of us have you know, lived with 26 hours in the day and we can just do those extra things. Time is a very equaling factor, isn't it? We've all got the same amount of it. It's just that we choose to use it in different ways. So if this morning you think, actually, I haven't been doing so well with it, then go home this morning and start today. Because even today, you can make a difference. I want to encourage you, don't beat yourself up over what you haven't done, but rather receive God's grace and move forward. Start today and do things differently. Number three on the list probably needs to be work. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 11, he said, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, 
to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you'll not be dependent on anybody. Work is a good thing. It doesn't always feel like it, but it is. Even in the Garden of Eden, Adam was told to work, to take care of God's creation. I mean, Daniel is a great example, isn't it, of someone in the Old Testament who followed God, had a challenging work situation, but still made it through. We don't have time to look at it this morning. Maybe we'll look at it on another occasion. But Daniel worked in an environment that really didn't honour God. In fact, he worked for a pagan king. But he still made it his priority to honour God in that environment. He still found time to pray. Because of that, he ended up in a lion's den, if you know the story, in Daniel 6 and so on. But we know that God rescued him. And he was able to honour God in a very difficult and a very challenging work environment. But you know, we need to honour God in our work situation too. We should be looking as Christians to be the most trustworthy, those with real integrity, those who work hard at building a team, not being a cause of division. So do you join in the office gossip around the water cooler at a break time as it were, at coffee time? Or are you known for only speaking well of people and encouraging people in your office, in your work situation? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I mean, shining your light around other Christians, well, that's nice, but it's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is shine your light in their places where there isn't light, in dark places where actually you may be the only light. That's where you need to shine as a Christian. So how bright are you? I don't mean in intelligence-wise, but I mean in terms of your shining lights. How bright are you? In Paul's list of qualities that a prospective elder should have, he includes having a good reputation with outsiders. So it isn't just about being okay in the church. It's about your reputation as outsiders. Well, I think that can include our work situation as well, our work environment. So if you work, then how are you known at work? What are you like? What would your reputation be like? Number four is church. Now, I guess as a church leader, there is part of me that would, probably quite a lot of part, a large part of me, that would like the responsibility to the local church to be somewhat higher than number four. Obviously not number one, because that's our honouring of God, but maybe, maybe one at A, perhaps. <laughs> but even though it might be number four, it's still in the top five. It's still in the top five of things that we need to be doing in our lives. D.L. Moody, the famous American evangelist, was visiting a prominent Chicago citizen, so the story goes, when the idea of church membership and involvement came up. I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside it, the man said. Moody said nothing. Instead, he moved to the fireplace, blazing against the winter outside, and removed one burning coal and placed it on the hearth. The two men sat together and watched as the ember died out. I see, the other man said. 
We need one another. We're designed for one another. The Christian life is meant to be led with one another, not on our own. And Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 12. He says in verse 4, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Strong word, isn't it? Each member belongs to all the others. Now, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve it. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Paul says two important things here. Firstly, that we belong to one another. And secondly, that God has given us gifts to use. We need to take those things seriously, friends. And Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, men, by, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Three times in just two verses, Jesus commands his disciples to love one another. I think it might be important. So how do we do it? Well, it's by serving one another, encouraging one another, caring for one another, putting one another's needs in front of our own. That's what we do in the church because we belong to one another. Paul also says, secondly, that God has given us gifts. So do you know what your gift is? Or your gifts may be. Maybe it's being hospitable. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's leadership or prophesying, serving or giving help. What are your gifts? And are you using them? Well, there's another whole preach there, so we'll have to leave that one to one side for a moment. But do you know what your gifts are? And are you using them? Are you using them in the local church to serve one another? Knowing what our priorities are, those four things perhaps, living by them, managing our time and priorities well, will help us to make the most of the rest of our life. But there are a few other things we need to mention briefly before we finish in our closing moments. One thing might be relaxing, taking time off. Are you good at having time off? Are you good at relaxing? Are you good at switching off? Do you make time for family and friends, for social activities? Jesus said that he had come to bring life and life in all its fullness. Do you feel like you're experiencing that? Or are you just about hanging on in there, mostly experiencing exhaustion or frustration? Now, I have to admit, I haven't always been very good at taking time off. When we were first married, it was something I actually struggled with. It wasn't that I didn't want to spend time with Sarah, I did. But I felt guilty for having time off from work to do that. Now, for several years, in the early stages of starting Jubilee Church, I gave time freely to start working to build the church. I wasn't paid. I worked part-time in order to do it. And I could do that. It freed up some time to start leading what has become Jubilee. As we grew, I worked part-time for another company and I was paid for a couple of days a week by the church. As we grew a bit more, that increased. The, th- the deal swapped round and I did two days a week for another company and three days a week for the church. And that was probably one of the most demanding seasons work-wise I've ever had. Having quite a responsible 
and demanding job that involved a lot of travelling that I was trying to fit into maybe two or three days and then trying to leave the church in sort of three-ish days or so as well. I was basically running two full-time jobs and I reckon I became close to burnout until our other leaders and trustees around me said, hey, this can't go on. We want to see you in one piece rather than be completely frazzled. You need to go full-time. Boy, what a relief it was to only have one job to do. But the trouble is, once I only had one job to do, I felt really bad for having time off from it. And I needed help to you know, try and put in my life, to put in my diary, some time to relax and time with family. And Sarah's helped me with that over the years. I've had to learn that it's okay to have time off. In fact, it's not just okay, but it's necessary. And it's what God intends for us. And God intended the human body, he designed it to have a routine of six days on, one day off. I mean, even God rested on the seventh day. That Sabbath day was a day to refocus, refresh, not so much to sit around doing nothing, but to be re-energised and refocus our life on God. So are you getting that day of rest? Are you getting that time to refocus? Are you getting that time off from work? That somehow we think, we often we think, no, we're better than God and don't need that day off. <laughs> but we do. And I know it's challenging and difficult, especially with young families. But we can still do things with them creatively that are not work, that help us re-energise and refresh. Rick Warren puts it like this. He says, divert daily, withdraw weekly and abandon annually. Quite a good way of putting it. I'm sure you remember the story of Elijah from 1 Kings 19. He overdid it, got exhausted, burnt out, and God came to him, gave him rest, and then recommissioned him again. So maybe you need to take some rest before God recommissions you again. So what do you do to relax? Are you getting rest? Are you taking time with your family? Well, another thing we need to make sure we're doing is take care of our body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Now, the context there is fleeing from sexual immorality. But we can apply it in other ways too. Honouring God with our body means taking care of it. Watching what we eat. Ensuring we exercise. Ensuring that we live balanced lives. We're going to be no good to God if we're run down, burnt out, exhausted and tired all the time. So take care of your body. You only get one of them. So look after it. That includes sleep. I mean, looking back a few years, I I, I would have had friends that might phone me, say, at 10 o'clock in the evening and say, hey, Graham, we're just going out. Do you want to come? I'll be like, yeah, absolutely. And I'll be off out the door and we'd head out for the evening. If anyone would dare to call me at 10 o'clock of an evening now, the phone is unlikely to be answered, let alone there be any thought of me going out, unless it was an emergency of some sort. <laughs> we go through seasons, don't we? Life changes, and we need to recognise that. So I can't live my life the same way now that I used to then. But for some of you who are living on your own or maybe living in shared houses, you need to go to bed earlier. It's as simple as that. And you need to be disciplined and think, yeah, I'm going to go to bed earlier 
So that when I get up, I will have had some sleep, feel refreshed, and I'm taking care of my body. But also you need to make sure you don't go to the other extreme and become what the Proverbs calls a sluggard, I think it is, and just spend all day lying around doing nothing. So it's finding a balance there. It's taking care of your body, making sure you get enough rest, looking after yourself. Really a practical word this, isn't it? But it's important because God wants us to take care of our bodies that we might honour him as we do it. I guess the, uh, the last thing to look at would be serving. Part of being in a family, part of being in the church family is serving. And like in any family, we need to take some responsibility for such things. I've mentioned before that I think I learnt this quite early on from my parents. Because I'd often help my dad around the church and get involved in things. And I saw my parents serve and give of their time and energy. I saw that it was biblical. I saw that it was necessary to the running of the local church. And it just was natural to me as I grew up. Well, maybe you haven't had that model, but you can learn those same lessons because those things are important. So it's true for us. Serving comes out of our love for God and being part of the family. And we could list, couldn't we, all the things that happen across the church life. And actually they only happen because many people give hours and hours of time to make them happen. Now, serving doesn't have to be a burden, but it can be something we enjoy, especially where we serve with our friends. But often what happens is those we serve with become our friends. Now, I guess at this point you're thinking, hey, I know what's going to happen now. He's going to read out a list of things that need to happen in the church and a whole list of areas that need people to serve. Well, I'm not. Just as we didn't pass the offering bowl around again last week after the finance and giving talk, I'm not going to read out a list now. But rather, I want to thank those of you who do serve. And many of you do. And I want to thank you for giving hours of your time to making things in the life of the church happen. Whether it be leading small groups, or leading kids' work, or serving on a technical team, or as a trustee, or other things. And there'll be many things that we could list. Your energy, your time, and your commitment is what keeps things going around here. So thank you. Now there are always opportunities to serve within the life of the church. Every area of ministry always has needs. And whilst I'm not going to read out a list, I will say this. Serving in the life of a local church is a natural part of being a Christian. And it's what we would expect of anybody who is a member of Jubilee. Now it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge demand on your time. It might be helping in the kids' work once a month. It might be serving on another team once a month. Neither of those things place particular burdens on our time. And if everyone served, actually, the demand on, on everybody would be less. Now, there are, of course, those who do much more. Those who lead different areas of ministry or have a particular passion for something give much more time. But you know what? When you have a passion for something, giving your time and energy isn't so hard. Because it's what you're interested in already. And in fact, I'd encourage you to serve in an area that excites you, that you've got a passion for, that you're interested in. And if you try something and think, you know what, if it doesn't fit, it's not me. That's okay. Try something else. I'd rather you do that than find the right fit than not do anything. Or the other extreme is being involved in something that's killing you and you wish you could do something else. Find what fits you. Serving in God's church is biblical. 
is something that God uses to grow us, in fact. Part of us becoming more like Jesus happens as we serve. It's part of discipleship. Paul says in Galatians 5, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. So let's love and serve one another in God's church. Now, as we finish, I'm well aware that listening to this sort of message, message, some of you could feel totally condemned. And it'll be all too easy for our husband or wife to be jabbing us and reminding us that they've been saying this thing to us for the last few months anyway. Well, if that's you, then don't do that. If you are married, then talk about your things with your other half. But don't rub it in or have a go. Because I believe God's grace is here this morning. And he wants to give us his grace afresh to help us with these things. To help us lead a balanced, a fruitful life that honours him. So for some of you this morning, in different areas we've touched on, you need to draw on God's grace and get his help. Maybe you need to get alongside somebody else and say, can you help me with this? Can you help me with these things? So as we finish this morning and finish this little series on making the most of the rest of our lives, what have we learnt? Or another question might be, what are you going to do as a result of this morning's message? Setting your priorities is a vital start. Although work may only come in at number three, it takes up a huge amount of our time. 40, 50, 60, 70 plus hours a week maybe. And although it may take up a huge chunk of time, we need to keep it in check from encroaching on the things that are more important in our lives. Each week has 168 hours. If we sleep for eight hours a night, wow, that sounds like a great idea. If we sleep for eight hours a night, then that's 56 hours of sleep. So we're left with 112 hours of non-sleeping time. Now, work may take up, I don't know, half of that perhaps. What are you going to do with the rest of it? What are you going to do with the rest? Now, although I think I can be quite clear on my priorities, they don't always reflect my diary every week. There are seasons and different pressures come and go. And in every job you have pressure times and times when deadlines come and extra effort is required, extra hours maybe. Well, that's fine, providing that doesn't become the norm. So I want to urge you after this morning to get before God and ask for his grace in helping you to live that balanced life. Proverbs 21 verse 5 tells us, The plans of the diligence lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So I want to encourage you, make plans. Make good plans that will profit your life, your relationship with God and all that he has for you. Let's stand, shall we, as we finish and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, although you had much to do and many things to accomplish, even you made it a priority to spend time with your Father made it a priority to take time out and be in that quiet place. And so, Lord, I, I pray for each of us this morning. You would help us as we maybe look afresh at our priorities, spending time with you, Lord, making time for our family, getting our work life in check, serving in the life of the local church, making time for other friends and things to relax. I, I pray, Lord, you'd help us with these things.
Help us, Lord, to live lives that are balanced, lives that are fruitful, lives that honour you, that, Lord, we might be in it for the long haul, not might get burnt out and exhausted in a matter of a few short years, but, Lord, may be able to serve you for all that you've given us to do. Lord, we ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.